a fight more than a year in the making, from three cases of COVID-19 found in the Cleveland area to now nearly one million cases in the Buckeye State, we may finally be on the verge of ending this pandemic. On TV, we only get a few minutes to share each story, but here we get to tell you all the details about stories that are important to Greater Cincinnati. I'm Stephen Albritton, and this is WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. This week's pod, a one-on-one with Ohio Department of Health Chief Medical Officer Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff. He's on the front line of making the tough decisions to keep Ohioans safe and healthy as we continue this pandemic journey. We cover a variety of topics, touching on where we are now with vaccines, where this mutating virus is going, and how Ohioans have stepped up in a way that will be remembered forever. Dr. Vanderhoff, thank you so much for joining us today on the Beyond the Studio podcast. Um, uh, just a quick assessment before you really get into some of the other questions. How is Ohio doing right now with the fight against the coronavirus? Well, uh, as I look at the numbers, I'm very, very encouraged by what I'm seeing. Uh, the governor shared today that uh, one measure, our uh, cases per 100,000, uh, is at a very good level. It was a little bit north of 150. Uh, and that's incredible progress, particularly when you think about it. If, if you just went back into December, we were peaking in the neighborhood of 900 cases per 100,000. So this is really remarkable progress. Uh, and I think it's a real testament to the combination of people really taking masking and distancing seriously and the call to get vaccinated. Because honestly, as, as we are looking at the rise of these variants, especially B117, uh, and that's that's what historically has been called the UK variant. So B117, it's growing uh, fairly rapidly here in the state and it's much more contagious. And yet we continue to see very favorable progress with um, our case counts. And, and I think that really is a tribute to the combination of good, safe practices, masking and distancing, in combination with Ohioans rolling up their sleeves and getting that vaccine. Mm-hmm. And and that number that the governor gave out uh, last week, 50 cases per 100,000. What does that number mean as far as a statewide? How do we get to that? We're trending towards that. What does a timeline look look like for that? You know, because people are gonna will hear that number fifty per one hundred thousand. But what does that really mean for me in my everyday life and whatever our new normal might be? Yeah. Well, and I've shared this before in other settings. Uh, I, I don't think I or any other health leader can really responsibly offer a prediction of when we get to that number, that fifty cases per hundred thousand. Um, What I can say is that when I look at the trajectory of that number declining, it's declining at a rapid enough pace that I think it's quite uh, possible that we could be arriving at that number in the late spring. Now, there are a lot of things that could change between now and then. We could see, for example, um, the the B117 variant uh, increase much more quickly. We could see a decline in the the rate at which people are getting vaccinated. Uh, There are just all kinds of things that could happen. But If things continue as they are, I'm very encouraged and very optimistic. And 
with that, uh, you, you mentioned uh, B117, that UK variant. There's other variants that are popping up, and there's always the potential for other variants as this virus you know, tries to survive and tries to uh, evolve. Testing. I, we, we, we've been talking a lot about the vaccinations, but I, I don't know if testing's been lost in this because we've been talking about it so long. Where are we at with testing and how is it, how important is it for people to continue to get tested? Because I know on the state uh, coronavirus website, the testing numbers, as far as how many that have been administered, do continue to come down um, over these past few weeks. Yeah, that's a very, very good question. And, you know, there's there's no doubt that there has been a decline both nationally and here in the state of Ohio in the total number of tests uh, that have been performed. Uh, we've dropped from a peak in, in the neighborhood of 63,000 in December to when I looked at it yesterday, it was around 45,000. But that's still a lot of tests. So one of the things I'm really encouraged by is that even as we're seeing the percent of positive tests drop to very, very low levels, uh, between three, three and a half percent, we're still doing 45,000 tests a day in our state. That, that is a lot of testing. And that's very, very encouraging because what that tells me is we can really believe the numbers that we're seeing. And yes, uh, the combination of uh, people getting vaccinated and therefore likely um, having uh, fewer symptoms, fewer um, situations where they think they might be sick and are going to get a test, um, along with um, the uh, masking and distancing also continuing to have a favorable impact. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna cause some decrease in our total tests. But we have so many programs in place in the state that involve making tests even more accessible to people. And, and today the governor shared some information about that, that um, I, I think that there's very little likelihood that we will see a lack of testing be a major issue in Ohio. Right, yeah, that's, that's that's good news there. Uh, uh, moving on to uh, you know the, the the racial disparity in vaccine eligibility. You know, we here in a, a greater Cincinnati. You know, we've done stories about how you know the black community is being disproportionately affected by the virus, and also on the other side, and as far as being able to get vaccines. I know um, we, we've had a local legislator kind of mention the fact um, Alicia Reese uh, opening up groups uh, or minority groups to younger ages as far as um, you know, being eligible for the vaccine. Has that been talked about? Is there any uh, potential for that? Because to close that racial gap as far as getting vaccines? Yeah, the, the, this is a really important issue and it's one that we've been um, very, very focused on. Uh, one of the considerations that uh, really factored into moving very quickly uh, down to the 50 plus um, uh, age group uh, was our recognition that that was also a, a way that we could uh, improve the equity of vaccine access. Uh, for all Ohioans, regardless of other uh, characteristics, whether it be demographics or it be uh, clinical um, risk factors, clinical um, diagnoses, when you look at the risk of dying, age is far and away the best predictor. And by including now 50 and above, we're accounting for 
98% of the risk of dying from COVID-19, and that's inclusive across all demographies in the state. So we feel really, really good about that part, but there's more that needs to be done. Um, another piece uh, to the puzzle is helping people to feel confident in the vaccine and confident that this vaccine really is safe and effective for everyone. So, you know, one of the messages that we're trying to get out there is that while it is absolutely true that uh, in the past decades, and it's, it's fairly um, remote now, but there was a real history of um, uh, inappropriate uh, actions taken during the development of some older vaccines. But this vaccine was developed with an eye towards um, inclusiveness uh, across broad categories. It was much more inclusive in terms of the age brackets of people who were included. You know, historically, most vaccines are primarily tested uh, in younger people. This vaccine included um, people, uh, adults, but adults across all age brackets. And importantly, it's unprecedented in uh, the way that it was inclusive of people from a broad array of um, ethnic and, uh, and other backgrounds. So that was very, very important in getting that message out. Another important message though, is the incredible safety of all of these vaccines and safety as demonstrated in all populations of people. And then the, the, the last thing is making sure that we are working to get vaccinations where people live, making sure that we're making it easy to get vaccines. So we began uh, by doing something many other states did not do. We began by saying, look, we're going to make sure that these vaccines are distributed first on the basis of population. That way, every county gets their fair share, their fair shot at getting vaccinated. Um, but we're also going to be mindful of and have some measure in there um, of um, measures of um, uh, the uh, social determinants of health and uh, allowing for some extra effort where we know that there are challenges related to those social determinants of health. And then now that vaccine is becoming a little more available. We're also looking at mass vaccination and pop-up sites that allow us to get into communities, especially communities uh, that have been underserved historically. Um, so I, I think we're taking the importance of uh, social and um, racial equity very, very seriously as we work to get these vaccines out. Yeah, and uh, we hope to continue to see those numbers, you know, come back together as more people get those uh, get those shots here in the near future. Uh, you know, moving right along, uh, you know, Ohio has vaccinated 48,000 people, at least according to the website, uh, from out of state. You know, what, what's Ohio's stance on allowing that to happen? We've heard other governments in other states want to, you know, I don't want to say hoard their vaccines, but they want their their citizens to kind of go first to get their vaccines. I, I guess what, what's the state stance on kind of their, you know, come one all, you know, come get your vaccination um, as soon as possible stance? That's a great question. It is something obviously that we've given serious consideration to. And at the end of the day, I, I, I'll share what, what the governor uh, shared today. We, we really 
have been confident that Ohio is uh, probably the the net beneficiary of people crossing over borders to get a vaccine. You know, in part uh, because we know that there are Ohioans who, uh, particularly in the winter, seek uh, a, a little respite in states uh, that might get a little warmer weather and a little more sunshine. Uh, so we are, are fairly confident some Ohioans are getting their vaccines in those states. But also, as a state in the middle of the country, we know that we have a borders uh, with multiple states. And we, have, we know from talking to people in those other states that some people from Ohio are going there and some people from there are coming here. It's inevitable. And if we were to try to lock down the borders of the state, uh, first of all, I think we, we would likely not be successful. And secondly, I think we would create a hostile environment that uh, doesn't exist right now uh, among the Midwestern states uh, that I think would, would actually um, have a negative impact on Ohioans and, uh, and their ability at the end of the day uh, to get vaccine where it makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. And and, and uh, to circle back to, uh, to groups, I, I know you guys are, of course, in a, in a tough situation, making some very hard decisions about who gets included where. And I know we've received calls, you know, about, you know, grocery store employees, you know, uh, police officers. I know they just came up eligible. But, you know, of course, they may live with older people. They might have students who go to school and come home. You know, uh, what's it like in your position to have to, you know, parse this out. I know you guys say you do it on the age factor, but it has to be difficult in some way to make these decisions between, you know, you, the governor and your entire team to, you know, segment out, okay, this group's first, second, third, and fourth. Now, thank you, I, it, because that's true. It, it, for the governor and his entire team, um, our sole objective is to save lives. You know, we want as many Ohioans to be protected from this virus as possible, as quickly as possible. And so, especially in the beginning months of vaccination, we knew that we had an incredibly precious, valuable resource that there wasn't enough to just open the door and say, hey, everyone come and get it. So some decision-making had to happen. And I felt very proud of the way that this state has approached the issue because what we've done is looked and said, what's the most important thing we can do? The most important thing we can do is keep people alive, keep people out of the hospital and out of the morgue. And what we were able to do is look at the data And the data said, uh, this is determined on the basis of age primarily. And so we began with the oldest people in our state. And even in that category, looked first at those in congregate living environments, especially nursing homes and other long-term care facilities, and said, you know, we've got to deploy vaccine there first because they were accounting for more than 50% of the deaths and hospitalizations that were happening in our state. So clearly, that was an incredibly high-risk group. And delivering vaccine to them had an immediate impact on the statistics that, that we were observing. We then progressively moved down the age groups. In addition, uh, there were some other uh, limited uh, populations that we included. Um, one was the medical group that constituted people who were younger 
than our age cutoffs, but who came into the world, began life with a variety of, of conditions that really put them at disproportionate risk compared to other younger Ohioans. So that was still thinking along the lines of let's protect people from the risk of, of dying. Uh, and then we had some professions uh, that, that um, were also, though, about protecting Ohioans, our healthcare uh, workforce. We recognize that they're the workforce that stands between us and dying. They're the people who are in the ICU. They're the people in the emergency rooms, in the primary care office, who are every day out there trying to help all of us get through this. We layered on uh, some others, teachers, because we recognized that we didn't want to leave the youngest generation behind, a, a generation that we know has been challenged with issues related to social development, to um, their academic development, um, and for whom there were growing behavioral health issues. Uh, one of the evidences of that is that this has been a year where we have seen among our younger people, um, uh, among the highest uh, uh, rates of um, homicide activity that we've seen in a long time. So, and that's just one illustration. So we knew we had to get kids back into school uh, and, and vaccinating teachers was an important part of that effort. So um, the good news is we're seeing growing numbers of vaccines coming to the state. And I believe that uh, in the weeks to come, that's just going to accelerate. So we are moving very quickly now in the direction of getting this vaccine to more and more and more Ohioans. Time for a short break. On the other side, a future with COVID-19. We've all seen it. That check engine light in our car. Do I check it now? Check it later? Can I keep driving? That one light doesn't tell you what you need to know. And if you get your weather from a symbol on your phone, you're not getting the full story. WLWT Weather has the only certified most accurate forecast in Cincinnati. It's where you get the difference-making details. You'll know exactly what to expect and when, so you can plan your day. WLWT Weather, Cincinnati's certified most accurate forecast. So we are back with Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff once again. Uh, doctor, uh, before we get into our future and our new normal, um, some people have wanted me to ask your bow ties. You wear them every single day. <laughs> uh, where, where do you get them? And, and what led you to start wearing uh, these bow ties? How, how did it become your thing? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, I have been wearing bow ties since uh, I was a young doctor. And what started me wearing bow ties, I'm a family doctor by training. And during my training, there were a couple of doctors who I admired very, very much who wore bow ties. And it's so often uh, uh, among young people, um, I was mimicking uh, the people I admired. And so I, that's how I began wearing bow ties. And then it just became what I did. Uh, in terms of where I get them, I get them from all over. I've gotten them as gifts uh, from family and friends and coworkers, uh, occasionally uh, uh, in, including my patients. Uh, and uh, and then you know bought them here or there when I when I've seen one I liked. So now I have literally hundreds of them. And um, uh, but thanks, yeah. It, 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 
it's just uh, something I like to wear. Oh, of course. And, and pe- people notice them and they like to hear those little uh, tidbits of b- behind the scenes of, you know, how that all came came about. Uh, so kind of looking to the future, uh, you mentioned it uh, before our break, you know, getting kids back in school, getting them back to some uh, normalcy. Uh, today on this Thursday, March 11th, and during the press conference today, we talked about spring sports and prom. You know, last year, senior class missed out on a whole lot. But it sounds like from where we're at right now and where we're going, that the class of 2021 might get their senior spring seasons then they might get their uh, senior proms what's what's the latest on uh, what we can expect for those for those students well a couple of things uh, first I'll, I'll just uh, point in the direction of um, the, the the students who are looking forward uh, to proms and graduations uh, the governor has shared that people can uh, confidently look forward uh, to having those events, but the guidance regarding the details uh, will be forthcoming. So we've not yet released uh, that specific guidance, but uh, the the governor has uh, given a a favorable indication that um, people can look forward uh, to those this year. So I'll note that. Uh, But one of the things that I can speak to in some detail are our K through 12 student athletes. And I know many of them as as they're heading into uh, the spring seasons are really looking forward to completing maybe their their high school uh, career with uh, a great spring sport and uh, and very concerned about, well, you know, what does it mean if uh, there's uh, an exposure that happens uh, either in the classroom or outside uh, the classroom, and, and I can share some details there. Um, you know, our student athletes now have two really uh, important factors that work in their favor as we're heading into the spring. Um, the first is that more and more of those sports are going to happen out of doors or in facilities that can open doors and windows to improve ventilation, and that all reduces the risk of COVID. Uh, and secondly, and as I shared at the press conference, I think perhaps most importantly, our K through 12 students have just done an outstanding job in terms of wearing masks, following safe practices in the classroom. And as a result, um, what we showed in our Ohio schools COVID evaluation in December just has continued to be evident. And that is that our schools are really safe COVID environments. So looking at these two factors, we felt very confident that a first, a student who is um, in a classroom environment and there is a classroom-based exposure that today does not require school quarantine is also at very low risk and can continue to participate in organized sporting activities as long as they stay symptom-free and follow the applicable sports guidance. And secondly, we felt that are are students who have some other exposure outside the classroom that might require them to quarantine can apply the same uh, modified quarantine guidance that we shared uh, other Ohioans uh, could access, namely um, the 10 and seven day quarantine options. Uh, and, And that's, this is all, you know, great news for our student athletes because this is just one more step towards all of us getting back to normal. And it's possible because all of us, and especially our student athletes are doing such a good job with safe practices 
and so many adults who are eligible. And some of those include uh, um, uh, the people who are the coaches uh, of teams uh, are lining up and getting vaccines when it's their turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's great news uh, for these students. We know those extracurriculars, you know, help them do better in school. And it's, you know, it's a release for them outside of the day to day, you know, eight to three o'clock, um, you know, school day. Uh, g- going, um, you know, sticking on the future, we touched on a little bit earlier with the variants, you know, even as we continue to vaccinate, could we see a resurgence, uh, you know, when we go back indoors in this winter, could it be, you know, the variants that cause us to have to make many more changes? I, you know, I hate to ask you to predict the future, but it's kind of one of those things that people always wonder about, you know, w- what could the future of COVID look like for us in Ohio? Will it, it's probably going to be something that we're going to be living with for at least for the foreseeable future. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of it hinges on um, vaccines. I think a lot of it hinges on how many Ohioans, especially Ohioans who are in that 16 to 60 category, when it's their turn, line up and get vaccinated. Because it's pretty clear that these vaccines work very well Uh, even in the face of these variants. You know, some of the uh, best data that we have now comes from Johnson & Johnson, who is a part of their trials, just happened to do them in both North America and Brazil, South Africa, two places where it just turns out we've got very high activity of some of these variants. And the vaccine held up very well. It remained 100% effective at protecting people from hospitalization and death. That's very impressive. And that's real life data. That's not what we've done looking at essentially test tube data uh, for some of the other vaccines to see how they might do in the face of of those uh, variants. So very, very encouraging. So as I look forward to the fall, I think that if we continue the great work that's happening now and people continue to be thoughtful and sensible about keeping their distance, wearing masks where it's appropriate and high vaccination rates. So we continue to see a lot of Ohioans lining up and rolling up their sleeves. I think it's gonna be very hard for this virus to continue to be a serious threat to us. Um, Now, one of the wild cards that nobody completely understands is, yeah, but how will this virus continue to mutate And how will it do so in the face of pressure from our our, our community gaining herd immunity? Well, it it is possible that it, it will change in a way that we can't predict, but the good news is the vaccine developers are already one step ahead and they're already looking at, well, what would it mean? What would be necessary if we needed a booster for the fall? Um, and, you know, we're used to getting flu shots. Uh, I, I think if there's a booster in the fall, it'll be more like, yeah, it's, get your flu shot and get your COVID shot. You know, it, it'll be more along that line. We'll see. But, um, you know, without going all the way to a full prediction, what I can say is I'm very optimistic about uh, what I think 
uh, will occur as a result of these really wonderful vaccines. And I think a lot of people will be comforted, you know, hearing, you know, the confidence that you have in the, the vaccines and the rate of people are uh, getting vaccinated as well. So uh, in your opinion, what would be a win? When would you go to the governor? When would you and your team, you know, huddle together and say, hey, we're here. It's time. I know we talked about the 50 per 100,000 cases, but what's going to be that one thing that says, OK, guys, Ohio is ready to roll and you know, and reopen. I mean, if we see another state start to do that, some would say it's premature. But for you and your team, what would be that moment or that that uh, I don't know? I, I call it a data point or something you guys see in all of your studies that says, okay, we're we're on the other side of this. Well, <clears throat> I think the very first threshold, and it's a really important one because when we cross that threshold, I think it really does begin to signal. The, that we are, if not at victory, approaching victory. And that is getting below 50 cases per 100,000. You know, that's a number we haven't been at since late in June. So June now, what, you know, nine months ago. Um, and, and that was a point in this pandemic when we had really just come out of a you know, very substantial lockdown, you know, very substantial um, collective effort to back away and um, avoid transmission. And, and so that, you know, to get back to that level, largely through vaccination and masking, it would be very impressive and, and will be an indication that we are clearly winning that and so we have said that's a place where we will lift the mandates now i think we'll continue as a department of health to be offering guidance and recommendations and i think we're going to continue at that point to uh, even be pointing towards the need for masking and distancing in certain environments it just won't be a level at which we mandate the being able to say okay we have now dealt with this virus and it is behind us, I think it's going to take a little more time. And the proof will be that we won't see periodic ebbs and flows in positivity and um, in case counts. We'll see the numbers continue to drop below 50 and frankly, get down below five cases per 100,000. Once, once we're able to do that and sustain it, uh, I think that we, we will then be able to say, we have um, put this virus in the rearview mirror. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that moment where COVID's just in the same basket, like you mentioned, of the flu, and it's just something we have to deal with seasonally. Yeah. We cannot wait that's for exactly, that. <laughs> you know, I think that's exactly right. What uh, Many scientists believe that COVID, because of our vaccinations, will transform into something much more benign and much more basic, but not be the life-threatening illness that it was prior to vaccination. So um, when we think about herd immunity, it's really having a kind of immunity in our population that's uh, substantial enough, that is enough of us have it, that we're collectively protected against the serious endpoints of illness, not necessarily protected against a mild cold 
um, mild upper respiratory uh, infection. Um, uh, uh, it's possible that it will persist in that form, but you know, we don't worry about the colds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, just to wrap up um, this interview, and once again, thank you so much for uh, joining us, doctor. You know, when they write the books about this pandemic and there will be books written, many of them, I'm sure, are already being written right now. Uh, what will they say about how Ohio handled this pandemic, how you and your office handled this pandemic? You know, the governor, Dr. Acton, who was in your role before, you know, what, what are they going to say about this is what Ohio did? This is how Ohio turned out. Well, I think that this will, uh, in the history books, be one of Ohio's greatest hours because Ohio, from the beginning, had the courage to look at what the facts said and acted upon the facts. Ohio had the courage to take bold steps when they were necessary. And Ohio acted as a community. Ohio acted together. You know, one of the things that's easy to miss is the fact that in Ohio, we've really banded together and said, okay, what do we have to do to deal with this? And while there has been some um, friction about, well, you know, what the masking and distancing and, you know, can we do this or that? Really, though, for the most part, Ohioans have just rolled up their sleeves and said, what do we have to do? Let's do it. And I think that's why we've been so successful. And now the, uh, the path to victory, which is vaccination, is just yet one more example. You know, as we look at the numbers, it's really gratifying. Ohioans are rolling up their sleeves and doing what they've done all along. This is what we need to do to get out. Okay, it's my turn. I'm ready. And, and I'm very proud of the state and uh, how we as Ohioans have responded. All right, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff here on the Beyond the Studio podcast. Doctor, thank you so much for joining us today. We really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This has been WLWT News 5 Beyond the Studio. I'm Stephen Albritton. Thanks for listening.